morning all. <laughs> Our message this morning is about Jesus healing a man at the pool of Bethesda. It's about God's grace because that ill man didn't really deserve anything. In fact, he wasn't a very good man to start with. And we'll see that the message is also about repentance. Our repentance. I'll pray. Thank you, Father, for making yourself known to us, showing us the way of salvation through faith in your Son. We ask now to teach us through your word so that we may be ready to serve you for the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. In many parts of the world today, there is much illness and suffering, right? Here's a picture of some floods in Rwanda, in Africa, in early May this year. At least 115 people died after the heavy rains triggered floods and mudslides. And several months later, there is still such widespread misery and great need. Wouldn't it be awesome if we had the power to fix the flooding problem and heal the sick like a superhero, right? <laughs> There's all the superheroes lined up on the bench. Jesus in the middle. And he says, and that's how I save the world, aren't you, Jesus? I think Dan has got this one on one of his T-shirts. Where's Dan? Yeah. He has, yeah. So... If you were in Rwanda right now and you had Jesus' ability to instantly heal people, the sick, what would you do for these people? Well, you'd heal them, right? So this morning we're going to see what Jesus did in such an instance when he was in a place where there was a multitude of sick and blind and lame and withered people. In verses 1 to 5, we've got the setting for the events that are about to take place. Let's look at them now. Verse 1, Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. So, there were three feasts that required all Jewish males to come to Jerusalem. The Feast of the Passover and Unleavened Bread. The Feast of the Weeks, and that's also called Pentecost. And the Feast of the Tabernacles. So we're not told what feast Jesus had come to Jerusalem for, so it's probably not too important except to clarify that Jesus' coming to Jerusalem at this time was a historical 
event. Verse 2. Now there in Jerusalem, near the sheep gate, pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. So the sheep gate was the gate through which the sheep travelled, funnily enough, eh? on their way, poor sheep, to be sacrificed in the temple. And the pool of Bethesda was nearby, just to the north of the temple precincts. Now, this pool was actually rediscovered in the 19th century under the ruins of a church. And the archaeological evidence shows that it was a pool shaped like a trapezoid. Trapezoid has got four straight sides. Around 50 metres wide, almost 100 metres long, divided into two pools by a central partition. Where did the water come from? Well, it probably came from runoff in the city and from some underground springs. And John describes five covered colonnades and people would sit or lie during the day under these covered porches to be sheltered from the sun. We get to verse 3. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralysed. So pilgrims to the city were not the only ones who came to the pool of Bethesda. It was also a centre for healing, as John tells us. Now we're not told how many invalids might be gathered on a given day, but I imagine there were scores, perhaps hundreds, of people. Why the, why the people were there is actually included in the footnotes in modern translations, but it's not really clear in part of the earliest Greek manuscripts, and therefore it's not part of the Holy Scriptures that, or, or the verse that we just read. Some um, versions have verse 3b and verse 4. So you'll notice that there's no verse 4 in what we just read. Verse 3 goes straight to verse 5. Some versions go on to say, after verse 3, and they waited for the moving of the waters. From time to time an angel of the Lord would come down and stir up the waters. The first one, so the first person into the pool after each disturbance, would be cured of whatever disease he had. So that's why these people were there. That an angel troubled the waters seems to have been a popular superstition among the people, pretty much like the superstitions that have surrounded holy wells and mineral springs back to Babylonian times. But, Trevor's favourite word, but their big mistake was, instead of seeking out the healer who had come to Jerusalem to heal and save, 
What, did, what were they doing? They were huddling around the pool and they pinned their hopes on the chance that they might be the first one into the water. Big mistake. Now, John introduces us to the subject of Jesus' healing on that day. All of those wretched people that were gathered at the poolside that day, of all of them, Jesus selected this one man. Verse 5, one who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. I assume that he was not just lame or, or trying to walk around on crutches, but he was paralysed since he was lying on a mat and he just couldn't get to the water very easily by himself. So it, it's likely some people, maybe relatives or neighbours, carried him to the pool every morning and carried him home every night. But during the day, he would need, they would have to go to work couldn't stay with him. There was no one there to help him. He had no friends during the day for 38 years. We're not told of the man's particular problem. He's just referred to as an invalid. The man's situation looked hopeless. And our first point but no matter how trapped you feel, God can minister to your deepest needs. Don't let a problem or hardship cause you to lose hope. God may have special work for you in spite of your condition or even because of it. And now Jesus asks this ill man a question. Verse 6. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time in that condition, Jesus said to him, do you want to get well? Now notice <laughs> that Jesus didn't say, excuse me. Could everyone please give me your attention uh, for a moment? Which one of you here would like to get well? Uh, come on, let me see your hands now. Put them up high. <laughs> no. Jesus just singled out this one guy to heal. And since there was a multitude of sick people there, couldn't he have just as easily healed them all? So why this one man? Why? Had this ill man sought out Jesus to ask for healing? Well, no. On the contrary, Jesus sought him out. Had this ill man demonstrated great faith? No. The account doesn't suggest that he demonstrated any faith at all. Had this man led an exemplary life of merit to merit special treatment over all the multitude of other people? No. There's no indication of him doing anything to merit Jesus' special attention. 
So, why would Jesus select this man from the multitudes in need to bestow his divine healing favour on? Well, let's look at some scriptures to help us answer that question. In Ephesians 1, 4-5, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. In accordance with his pleasure and will. And also from our Bible reading that Glenda read for us this morning from Romans, Romans 9, 15 and 16. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. It doesn't therefore depend on human desire or effort but on God's mercy. So, you see, the Lord demonstrates his mercy and grace to some and not to others. Because God has mercy and compassion on those whom he sovereignly decides to have mercy on. And God's choice is in no way dependent on the will or actions of us, past or present or future. God chose all of us before we existed, even before he created the world. So the conclusion to all of that is God has 100% credit for salvation. And we've got 0% credit for salvation. Now, some people thought wrong, wrongly that the Lord was being unkind or unfair because he didn't choose them but that conclusion could not be more completely wrong the fact is we are all sinners and we all deserve an eternity in hell and it's only because of his compassion and mercy that he graciously saves any of us his sovereign choice of God should never be the source of resentment towards him, but always rejoicing and thanksgiving. So in our passage today, the Lord actually was not unfair or unkind to the multitude of other sick people at the pool, but he was indeed very gracious to this one man. Now in verse 7, the sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water's stirred up. But while I'm coming to the pool, another steps down before me. So this answer from the man clearly says that he really wanted to be healed. And, and his response also talks about his total helplessness in achieving the result himself 
just like us. We're totally helpless to achieve the result ourselves. Verse 8. Jesus just said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. After 38 years. Must have had stiff knees like me, I reckon. Notice that Jesus doesn't pray for the man. He commands him with a word of power. <laughs> Jesus, of course, wasn't limited to a single way of healing people. As the one through whom all creation exists, our Lord, he was actually very creative and he used various ways to heal. For example, he took a dead little girl's hand and told her to arise. He put mud in a blind man's eyes and he told him to go wash it out. He also healed by merely stating that healing has taken place somewhere else in another village because of the person's faith. He also healed by just touching a person. He put his fingers in a man's ears and touched his tongue with his saliva. That's how he healed him. Many were healed just by touching the fringe of Jesus' cloak. But in this instance, as in many others, Jesus simply issues a command and the man is healed instantly and completely. Wow. Verse 9a, that once the man was cured and he picked up his mat and he walked. I'll ask you the question, how much credit should this man receive for being healed? You might say, oh, that's Craig, it's a pretty silly question. <laughs> he shouldn't receive any credit at all. Jesus should receive all the credit. And that's exactly right. Jesus should receive 100% of the glory for healing him. And it's the same principle we looked at just before, that God gets 100% of the credit for saving us. We should never, we should never try to take any credit ourselves for God's work. Give all the glory to him. Jesus has 100% of the glory for saving us. We have nada. After Jesus healed him, the man's immediate response was obedience. He picked up his mat and he walked. He could have maybe said, oh, no, it's all right, my friend will get the mat later. Or he could have maybe said, oh, no, Jesus, I'm going to go and celebrate and I'll come back for the mat later. <laughs> or he, maybe he should have said, hey, fellow beside me, I'll give you my mat because um, you've you got an old one. But he didn't. He was obedient. When Jesus gives us instructions to live by, we should immediately obey him. The point here, we should not delay. We should not try to do it our way. We should not consider Jesus' instructions 
less important than anything else we want to do, we certainly shouldn't ignore Jesus' instructions. Our response, like this man's response, should be to immediately obey him. I'll ask you a question now. Are you being asked by Jesus to do something? Are you being asked by Jesus to do something? If so, you should do it now. Now, in verses 9b to 13, we see some trouble with the Sabbath police. Verse 9b, John tells us that this healing took place on a Sabbath. Apparently, in Jerusalem, some of the strict Jews, and they were probably Pharisees who interpreted the law quite strictly, they saw this man carrying his mat home and they took it upon themselves to confront him. So the law indeed was very clear about observing the Sabbath. The fourth commandment says, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labour and do all your work but the seventh day is the Sabbath day to the Lord your God in Exodus 28 to 10. So, of course, the intent of the law was that God's people should rest on the Sabbath and not pursue their normal work. But then the lawyers took over with Paul. Sorry, mate. <laughs> we need you. There is a large... Tractate in the Misnah that details just what is allowed and disallowed on the Sabbath. Accordingly, this is crazy, but accordingly, it was allowable to carry a man on a bed on the Sabbath, but not okay to carry a bed without a man on it. Go figure that. Crazy, right? What did the man say? In verse 11, he replied to these Pharisees, the, the Sabbath police, the man says, Oh, the, the man who um, made me well, he said to me, pick up your mat and walk. So the healed man's defence is to shift the blame from himself to Jesus. Yeah, he told me to do it. That, that fella that healed me got the Sabbath police a little bit intrigued and they wanted to know who this man Jesus was. Verse 12 and 13, the Sabbath police asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick, up, pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowds that were there. And Jesus... After he healed the man, he disappeared. But in verse 14, Jesus reappears to this fellow. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Oh, boy. 
Verse 14 implies that there is a relationship or can be can be a relationship between sin and sickness. So at one level there's always a relationship between sin and sickness. But here it, there's a specific direct relationship. Notice that Jesus actually, he spots the man in the temple, not the other way around, even though there was probably a crowd of people around Jesus. Jesus goes to the man and confronts him about his specific sin. Now we don't know what his sin was, whether it was slander or cheating or sexual sin. We're not told. But it doesn't seem like some kind of garden variety weakness it seems like serious sin and Jesus commands him to stop sinning or something bad might happen to you this man's probably thinking oh, I've just been a cripple for 38 years what, what, what bad what, what's worse than that well how about hell, for example? Hell, forever and throughout eternity, that is what Jesus is doubtlessly referring to. So a wrap-up. The story of healing of this man at the pool of Bethesda is one of grace, God's grace. That ill man didn't deserve anything. In fact, he wasn't a very good man to start with. In reality, are any of us? And the story is also about repentance because Jesus said to the man, you need to sin no more. And we can't separate grace, God's grace, from repentance our repentance because that would severely distort the gospel that Jesus and the apostles taught. A number of times in the Bible we find instances where God does afflict people with sickness as punishment. With the paralytic let down by his friends into the house where Jesus was speaking. Jesus links sin with illness, Mark 2.9. But, <laughs> when we read of cases of sickness like this, we should remember how deeply we ought to hate sin. Sin was the original root and cause and the fountain of every disease in the world. God didn't create us to be full of aches and pains and infirmities. These things are fruits of the fall. There would have been no sickness if there was no sin. So does that mean that all sickness is a result of specific sin? Well, no, it doesn't. We shouldn't generalise. For example, there's no sin specifically linked with the man born blind in John 9. And sometimes 
besides living in a fallen world, Satan and his demons might be responsible for our sickness. Compared with Luke 3, 10 to 13. So, the lesson of this story to us is that no matter how miserable our situation is or how hopeless things may appear, Jesus has the power to not only transform our hopeless situation but to also transform us in the process. I'll just say that again. No matter how miserable our situation is or how hopeless things may appear, Jesus has the power to not only transform our hopeless situation but to also transform us in the process. I'll pray. Heavenly Father and our living God, thank you so much that we are saved by faith through your grace, your undeserved favour. Thank you that you freely give us grace. Please help us Father, to repent. And please help us all to remember that no matter how miserable our situation is or how hopeless things may appear, help us to remember, Father, that Jesus has the power to not only transform that hopeless situation but also to transform us. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.